This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it. Starting May 5th on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure, and agony as teams go head to head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through pain is the name of the game. With so much edge of your seat action, you'll refuse to shave or change your sweater. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs beginning May 5th on TNT and TBS. Alex Carell is one of over 70,000 Google Career Certificate graduates. The Google Career Certificate program completely changed the trajectory of my life. I've always been interested in computers, but I never thought I could turn this into a career. Anytime I got a little break, I'd just pop open the course on my phone. That allowed me to have that path into a career that I'm passionate about. Train online for in-demand jobs in IT, UX design, data analytics, project management, and more. Visit grow.google slash certificates. Good morning, Honey Hole Hangout crew. Today is going to be a special edition episode. It is going to be me and Carson Rowlett. What's going on, guys? Uh, manning the board today, and we are going to be doing a bunch of micro-interviews coming to you from the Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival here in beautiful Mesquite, Texas. Um, stay tuned, and we will get some guests on for you. Yeah. Hey guys, this is going to be our first interview, and it's going to be with Caster Faith out of Dallas, Texas. Um, we have Kenneth Lawrence on and Clay Christian. Um, so, Kenneth and Clay, uh, we're going to start with our typical questions to kind of get the ball rolling. We ask these to all of our uh, yeah, all of our guests yeah. get these questions on. Uh, what got you guys into fly fishing? Well, good morning. First of all, thanks for yeah. letting us pop on with you, a pair of degenerates like us. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll start. Um, what got me into fly fishing was uh, was my cousin um, who lives up in northwest Colorado and went to stay with him one spring break. And uh, this was right around the time, and I'm going to date myself, but it was right around the time uh, a river runs through it came out, so everybody wanted to get into fly fishing. Oh, yeah. So you got into uh, it before it was cool. Yeah, no, I've been... Uh, I've been fly fishing for 20-plus years at this point, uh, 25 years or so. Um, Got hooked on it, wound up uh, moving up there between college and grad school and uh, worked at a little lodge up there for a couple of years and, uh, you know, been with it ever since and then had the pleasure of meeting Clay uh, through church and tried to pass the bug on to him. Well, I got to say, he definitely did that. Uh, he realized I was spending hundreds of dollars a month on spinning gear, and he was like, hey, man, get, get you a good addiction, <laughs> spend thousands, go on fly fishing. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am uh, three years later, uh, probably an intermediate and sure, catching yeah. biggins. Nice. And uh, y'all are, it says that y'all are out of Dallas. Are y'all out of Dallas proper, and what – waters are y'all typically fishing you don't have to hotspot your stuff but like 
particular rivers or lakes? Yeah, what sure. The the uh, and I'll let Clay talk more about the the trips. But we're out of Dallas proper. Um, it's uh, uh, organization Cast Your Faith is based out of St. James Episcopal Church in Dallas. And in terms of what we're fishing, um, the main focus of our group is going on weekend kind of we call it men's centered retreats. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll go you know anywhere within a three hour radius pretty easy Thursday evening or Friday morning drive mm-hmm. um, and we fished everywhere from the blue up in Oklahoma to uh, the Brazos and for every species and we have so I'm sorry yeah, no, jump I, in. I you did. know more about Man. this than I do <laughs> we uh, were expanding to about a six-hour trip this or a six-hour destination this year we're going down to uh, PA uh, Marco okay. Escamilla is actually uh, planning that trip for us um, all of our trips typically cost everybody between 75 and 100, 100 bucks. You're going to spend that on a Friday night anyway. So uh, 100 bucks typically gets you, you know, three days of having a good time, good food, uh, great drinks, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, hanging out with new people and kind of realizing that uh, it's, it's – sometimes easier to be spiritual outdoors than it is sitting in a church no i 110 percent agree when i'm outside hunting or if i'm fishing that's where i feel most connected and most grounded in my faith that's where i recharge and feel god's presence within 100 percent when you when you hear uh nature come alive first thing in the morning Mm -hmm. you got a little bit of fog coming up off of the river and you hear all the birds come into life you look over to your side there's a big old eight point white white tailed deer you know 50 yards away from you not even caring what you're doing well at that point i'm probably drawing a bow back (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna do a bow cast i'm gonna get that one it's going from spiritual equipment but it's going from spiritual to meat eater real quick (laughs) uh you said down to port a or down to pa i'm assuming port a because i'm from texas and that's what i mean uh, or what I think of when I hear that, but because we do have a national and international audience to some extent, I just wanted to clarify that's uh, Port Aransas, Texas, not Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. that is. <laughs> that is Port Aransas. I'm a small town uh, uh, Dallas, Texas boy. So Especially considering yeah. it's going down to PA instead of up to <laughs> PA. Yeah, yeah. That's your context clues. 2,300 mile difference, you know. Yeah. So, uh, can you guys speak to your most memorable fish? Like, what's that one fish that you've ever caught that just always stick? Might have even missed it, but that one that sticks out in your mind, the one that kind of keeps you up at night. Oh, man. Yeah. For me, uh, it's it, there's no question. It's the first time I, I caught a tailing redfish in the flats down around Galveston, mm-hmm. um, fishing the bay system down there. Uh, there's something so unique about standing on the front of a skiff that somebody's polling and sight casting at tailing redfish. And it wasn't a, a huge fish, but it was a it was a good fish, and uh, just the the combination of things that come into play in order to to successfully land a, a redfish in that kind of skinny water, um, it's a it's a thrill that I'm still chasing. Yeah. You know, you yeah. you always want that again. So that was an easy one. Yeah, I'd have to say that's easy. I was uh, st- still kind of teaching my buddy Jeff how to how to read water on the on the brazos we were uh south of whitney and um 
man, we found this deep channel, and I was pointing them out, and I was like, look at those, man, they're, they're huge. And uh, I sat there, I was fishing with a six-weight recon, and uh, had a double-barrel sexy seducer popper on there, probably a two-aught, it's black and purple. Cast it right up underneath this tree, popped it two times. That big old spotted bass in the picture over there on my table. It's a, a quarter of an inch short of a state record on the fly in that oh. stretch of water. Yeah, that uh, one would keep me up at uh, night. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. there. I was just there. Man, he was sweet. He breached the water three times. I didn't want I, – I was so nervous that I couldn't let him take it to the reel. And my buddy's like, take it to the reel, take it to the reel. (laughs) (laughs) And as soon as I take it to the reel, that drag clicking, it just started whining. And, and man, that was better than anything in my (laughs) former (laughs) derelict years. So (laughs) I got to admit, man, it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. I could definitely see how that's the... I keep you up at night or just thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, How about you, sure. man? How about you? Oh, our listeners have already kind of heard some of my stories. Um, what got me into it, it was I started May of 2015. I had wanted to, I had conventional fished and stuff kind of growing up. I'd never really considered myself a fisherman or anything, uh, but... I had always wanted to learn to fly fish, but where I was from, which is a small town in Georgia on the east or sorry, west border, like right on the Alabama line, like my phone will switch over depending (laughs) on how far away from home I'm driving. Right. Um, And there I knew no one who fly fished. Uh, So... I was in college, or I had just finished college and started my first real big boy job. Mm. And one of my friends had, I found out, was a fly fisher, and I met him through work. And so I bugged and bugged and bugged and bugged him to teach me. And finally, for my birthday that year, that's how he justified it as like, that's my birthday (laughs) present. And so we went up to North Georgia, just north of Dahlonega and uh to a small mountain stream and we fish for brookies and rainbows and stuff like that and so we were making a weekend of it so we were camping out my birthday's in may so good weather like camping out having a good time fishing teaching me the first thing he said when we got out of the truck for the first night, he said, do you want to try and man fish or do you want to be a little girl and use the spinning rod? <laughs> I said, no, I want to I want to learn to fly fish. It's all about motivation. Oh, yeah. Really. And so he's like, okay. So we rig me. He teaches me how to rig up the whole fly rod system. We go down to the creek and uh, throw a nymph on, and we're just sitting there nymphing, 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 and I get finally get a a strike of a little rainbow on it and it's probably about a little eight inch rainbow they're not big in the mountain streams um and fought it never got it to the real cause i mean not enough space but pulled it in and he's like all right let's get your picture with it as your first fish on the fly and we did it and i couldn't hold on to him he kept on like (laughs) flopping out but it it was like had gotten him to shallow water so like i could easily pick him back up and eventually, there we have no reservation of eating what we catch sure. whatsoever. So we were going to eat this fish either way. <laughs> and it keeps on flopping. He's like, hold on a second. He takes the fish from me and just goes, 
whack <laughs> right on the side of a rock and like the back side like the picture that's of the fish that's not in the photo is all like busted <laughs> <in> <laughs> and, and we get we get the picture on the good side and then we just take it back up and we fillet it out and cast iron skilleted it and had that for dinner so I don't have any reservations of saying like, yeah, this is what we did to this fish, but we ate it with all intentions. That's how you of get a perfect it. picture. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. We get you to hold still. And then you don't have to worry about a newbie keeping the fish out of the water too long. <laughs> Who cares if you're taking all the slime off at that point? Hey, uh, man, they're there. They're there for us to eat. I mean, they're beautiful. I agree. You've yep. got to harvest them. Yeah, you know, I agree. you've got to harvest. Uh, that way, we can get them bigger. But. uh that's my most memorable fish because a it was my first one on fly and b the story that connected to it and so it's always kind of been like pinging just right there uh second most is probably my first bonefish down in belize which actually got me down onto the reel which was probably the first time i ever actually connected and had to fight on the reel instead of just stripping in and that was a blast because that (laughs) fish took off he, he got it took off ran like probably 25 50 yards out and all this other stuff it was that was a fun one yeah you, you get spoiled if you uh, yeah you go from mountain <laughs> streams in north georgia to bonefish i mean well that's what i've always said was the great thing about living and fishing in san antonio because in the fly fishing world no one thinks of like south texas as like right. a, yeah. a destination spot to go fish unless it's just for like coastal reds and stuff but I can literally go fish the Guadalupe River in the morning for trout if I wanted to. Sure. And then if I... Fish the Frio. I mean, yeah, can, there's a ton of great spots. Fish that, fish the, the hill country rivers in the morning and then turn around and say, you know what, I'm done with this. If, if I'm done by like 10 o'clock, head, head down to the coast you and can I can be, be chasing reds yeah. in the same day. Where else can you really do that? I don't know. No, Someone tell me. The, it, the geography of it is perfect. If, exactly. If and then I can sit there. I have bass that I can go after all summer long, which is normally what I do now, um, and use, like, those winter months, November and stuff for hunting. Um, so I have the bass. I have the trout. I have perch to have fun on. We have a good population of carp that we can chase after. We got the reds. We got jack or go down to the jetties you got jacks we can get tarpon it's a it's almost like a it's like a secret mecca almost well, if, sure. you, if you know how to like work it and do it in well my even opinion. if you don't even if you're wildly unsuccessful at fishing what you have geographically is access to in my opinion two of the prettiest spots in texas right yeah, the hill country and the coast and that's the wonderful thing to me i think about fly fishing i the longer i've done it i I'll go out there and I'll find myself standing, just looking around, appreciating nature mm-hmm. for fifteen or twenty minutes yeah. at a time. Then go, oh, God, I'm out. I'm supposed to be yeah, out here I'm fishing. To be doing something. What, what am I doing? But having access to places like that makes it even, yeah. even tougher. And then one of my favorite aspects of fishing, the the one thing that I never get over, that has nothing to do with like truly the fishing aspect of it, is. If you're going in like an early November day or something where it's cold in the morning, but you know it's going to warm up in the afternoon a little bit, 
but getting into the river and once that heat starts warming your top part up but you feel the coldness of the waters pressing that waiter and that pressure around your legs i never get over that feeling i mm. love that feeling that there is there is something about that that high yeah we'll, uh, i take my brother-in-law and father-in-law fishing in uh, cotter arkansas every year on the white river and uh, I find myself more evenings than not walking down to the river without my waders because it's, you know, 90 degrees mm-hmm. outside and just standing in the river, maybe drinking a cold beer or whatever, thinking about the, the day, just chasing that mm-hmm. that sensation that of the cold water, the compression, and then the heat on your shoulders and yeah. the sun on your face. It's something, it's something special. There's nothing, nothing in this world that I can equate to that true feeling. Yeah, it's it's unique for yeah. certain. Oh, it definitely well, is. There's there's especially after you've tried to tie on fifty different flies, nothing's in your hat, and you're just like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm done. That's that's the worst <laughs> feeling of it. Well, I don't know what I'm just supposed to. Well, well I, I know you guys kind of introduced yourself already in your business, but is there anything else you want to like speak about that? Yeah, like what's y'all's mission uh, yeah. for it? What are y'all trying to accomplish? I recognize that it's a faith-based organization, so it's a way to uh, uh, minister to men specifically, yeah, it sounds like. I, I think what we, the goal of this organization, and, and Clay can correct me when I mess this up, but the goal really is uh, to present, <laughs> pre- present an opportunity for any man that wants to get involved to get involved and get involved through exploring their faith, get involved through learning how to fish or any combination of the two. It's not an organization um, that, and I hate to use the analogy, but you're not going to get beat over the head with Mm -hmm. scripture. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is just to show you that sort of uh, brotherhood camaraderie that uh, the, the Greeks called it agape love, right? Just, Hey man, you're here. You're one of us this is great. And that's really the expectation we go into it. And I think it, it's easier to make a friend and be a friend when you're doing these sort of things. And then uh, as far as the faith aspect of it goes, I learned a lesson a long time ago that um, you know our job as Christians is not to convert people. It's not to go out and, and make followers of Christ. Uh, it's to introduce people to Christ. And you know, management handles the conversion stuff. We just handle the sales end of it. So if we can go out and, and show you that uh, church is not confined to four walls, um, that, that God is everywhere in a very um, unintrusive, low-key sort of way, that's what we try to do. Yeah. We are uh, kind of over over the years and here just recently, I kind of really uh, found something that, that really is a quote by John Muir. Um, and... And it really catches the the essence and the spirit of cast your faith. And it's uh, the quote, and into the wilderness we go to lose our minds and find our souls. Um, you know, like like uh, Kenneth was just saying, we don't beat people over the head with scriptures. It's uh, what happens on these trips stays on the trips. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of things that are shared amongst each other. I mean, there's great food great drink so i mean it's just gonna (laughs) naturally happen so we make sure everybody knows hey man what happens there stays there um we've got a very diverse group of people and it's worked out 
I mean, it's worked out beautifully. Uh, you'll walk up on one of our camp trips and the cultural diversity and the age range, man, I think that's one of the things oh, that, that just boggles my mind is you got guys that are 60 that are hanging out, you know, and keeping up with us, you know, 30 to 50-year-olds, 30 to 40. Well, I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm not going to say how old I We've am. We've got to recruit some 30-year-olds. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, but uh, Well, maybe y'all will with uh, this podcast because our main audience does tend to be, see, our youngest person who's on the podcast is Carson and you're I'm 19 so oh, he's wow. 19 that's all awesome you're uh, not even well, old enough to... to go on our trip <laughs> <laughs> no, just playing the, you can come the next the oldest guy in the group is a year older than me and he is 31 so we have like a good age range sure. space there but we all are still fairly young and this leads to our average listener uh according to our metrics is probably around 19 to about 35 ish years old so we do reach like that 30 year old audience and That's like i said demographic we, we really do <laughs> have a lot of people in uh all over the state listening so maybe someone in texas can yeah get a hold definitely. of you guys if they're trying to is there a way that they could get a hold of you like plug your yeah. your phone number yeah website? i tell you what man uh this is my personal phone number i'm i'm pretty sure it's gonna go uh you know viral here uh, <laughs> my phone number is 214-296-7893 and uh you just call and ask for clay christian or send me a text man uh you know, tell me you're interested about Cast Your Faith. What really makes me excited about y'all's podcast is it's showing me that we've got uh, three, four generations, and, and y'all've got, you know, the younger generation that's coming up and, and has an appreciation for the outdoors, has an appreciation for conservation, understands you've got to harvest meat, Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you eat lots of meat, I'm sure. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah. We are very much all meat eaters okay. on this podcast. <laughs> we work out great. We work out great then. Um, man, this is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. and we'll Thank put you. this on the podcast yeah, notes we'll put that it way. In the um, show notes so people can have it there and they're not trying to listen for it and write it down yeah. really quickly yeah. before you have to listen to the voicemail twice. And we <laughs> so may also have a link through stjamesdallas.org we, we probably yeah. do and I know uh, we have a Facebook group okay. called Cast Your Faith it okay. is open uh, we still do approve members just to keep bots out we mm-hmm. don't you know ask people for money or anything we're not the collection plate pass around guys okay. sounds good well thank you guys very much um, thank y'all it's been Nice to catch up with you. I know me and Clay talked a little bit yesterday afternoon as we were setting up. Hey, guys, this will be our second interview for the day, and it's going to be a cute little kid that comes by the booth and his father, Gabriel and Gabe. How are y'all doing today? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Good. Uh, Gabriel, how old are you? Six. You're six years old, and how long have you been fishing? About would you say about all your life? Mm, no, I You've been fishing for a while, haven't you? Yeah. Just pictured of you fishing when you were three, when you first got your rod. So you've attacked a lot of ponds in your short amount of years. That's huh? awesome. What uh, what type of rods are you using? Is he 
fly casting or anything yet? Yeah, he's got a, um, a couple spinning rods. He's got one of those old uh, Zepcos. He's also got a, a fly rod as well. So. Okay, cool. great. Uh, do you have a favorite fish type, Gabriel? Uh, catfish. Catfish. Ooh, catfish. I like catfish too. Especially, do you eat them? Do you eat catfish? That's fun the best catch, way to do. Fun to eat. Crocodile too. That's a good way to do it. I, I enjoy crocodile as well. Um, so y'all are a father-son team type tackling it. Y'all want to talk about what's it like fishing with your dad, Gabriel? Uh, also my papa. Oh, and your papa? Uh, and your papa? Uh, yeah, it feels good. Feels good? Who's a better fisher, your, your dad or your papa? <laughs> I'm just gonna say my papa. Okay, oh. that, that's a that's a fair that's a fair one. He has a little bit more years on him. Probably true. <laughs> well, Dad, what's it like? What should, what do you get out of fishing with your son? I'd I'd imagine that that's the one of the best experiences a father can have. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's fun to watch him uh, learn how to cast. Fun to watch him actually cast the fish. The excitement um, when they uh, when they bait the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, brings a lot of joy, right? Um, you'd almost rather watch him fish than yourself. Yeah, yeah than do it yourself. Um, Can't so even pretty see yourself. That, this is true. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. So. All you can see yourself in the mirror. Yeah. Fish in the sink. Well, you can see yourself in the reflection of the water. True. Uh, yeah. Depends on the water, right? This yeah. is true. A lot of it does tend to be a little murky nowadays. Until you cast the fish, it's gonna break you away. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Gonna break yourself like, I'm broken. Well, Gabriel, I think you're probably the youngest person we've ever had on this podcast, but we really liked your energy as you've you've been walking up and down the aisles. So we wanted to get you on. How what's it like being? I'm assuming this is your first time going to be on the radio. How do you like it? Mm, it's good having to talk on. Yeah. Yeah. Are you nervous? Were you nervous when I asked you if you wanted to be on it? Oh, yeah, a little. Yeah, a little. Well, we will try and get this out uh, if you're you're following us now. So uh, you'll you'll hear us. You'll probably be our number two interview in that little lineup. And so right. Gabriel will get to hear himself. Appreciate you guys coming on. I Appreciate you guys. somebody in the headphones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of fun, man. Yeah, Appreciate you guys. you guys having us. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Good show. Looks like a fun podcast. Yeah. How so. have y'all enjoyed the show thus far? Um, the show's been good. Um, a little smaller than um, most years, Normal. but I mean, obviously, um, for obvious reasons. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> but it's been uh, it's been nice to come. It's been fun to watch him enjoy it. Um, you know, he enjoyed some of the boats over there earlier. Mm-hmm. Looking yeah. at the I was that... wondering what that thing is for. Yeah, it's our, our podcast machine, so it's how we're recording all this, and then we'll take it and we'll edit it up a little bit to make it more. You do balanced. have to bring it home because. If we're going to do it at home, so you're going to have to bring it. Yeah. Can't leave it here. <laughs> we do We do take it. It is very portable. We actually load it up and lock it in a, a box, like a hard-sided box, so yeah. that we can take it everywhere. And then you just do it whenever you need to. Pretty yep. much. But, but, you have to, but you have to set a timer on my iPad, and then when it goes ring, ring, I'm just going to... Um, uh, or if my mom's timer goes ring ring, I'm gonna have to get off of YouTube. Yeah. I have a timer of YouTube. You're gonna have to watch yeah. us on YouTube too. Yeah, we do have a YouTube channel that shows uh, some fishing adventures that some of us do. 
Yeah, I yeah. can't see those. I usually just focus on watching Stampy. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I just keep looking at it like, why? Yeah. I'm just going to watch this and watch this and watch this and this. It would be fun to use your iPad to be able to hear this interview when it comes out, huh? Oh, yeah. Be able to hear yourself on the radio? Yes, it's really fun just being able to hear yourself. <laughs> and now you can tell all your friends at school that you were go- you're going to be on the on a podcast. Well, I have to tell my mom first because... I'm sure Dad will take care of that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, sure. I'm a little nervous to tell her that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to stay quiet. Sure she'll get a kick out of it. Yeah. Just like she does like to watch you fish. Yeah. Well, th- thank you guys again yeah, for coming thank on. Y'all. Absolutely, yeah. man. Great to meet you guys. Yeah, you too. Nice to meet you too, Gabe. What's up, everybody? That was our second interview with Gabe and Gabriel, the father-son duo. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Hello again. This is going to be our third interview with Chaplain Pruitt from the Real Hero Project. Good um, How are you doing today? I'm awesome. I'm about halfway through my coffee this beautiful Sunday morning, so <clears throat> there's my voice. There it is. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. No yeah, problem. Um, now, we're calling you Chaplain Pruitt, but <laughs> you, you told us your your name is Doug, so yeah. we'll... We'll call you Chat throughout the podcast. Hey, How's that fine. go, Chat? I, that is uh, not <laughs> uncommon. So my official uh, uh, name is, uh, is Doug Pruitt, uh, Chaplain Doug Pruitt, Chaplain Pruitt. Uh, I'm not a pastor anymore, um, either because I wasn't good at it or it wasn't my calling. Let's hope it's the second. Um, but in in ministry, uh, youth ministry, especially in the men's ministry, it was always Brother Pruitt or Brother Doug, and then the young people kind of made it. You know, they'd call me Brother D, and then Brody, and so my friends and family call me Brody. Oh, that's so how you got the Brody. That's how it was I got cool. you. Yeah. It's not because gotcha. I'm cool or you know some surfer <laughs> or anything like that. It's just kind of got or, way. or a middle name type that's situation. It. No, my middle name's Lee, and and this is the bad part is it's it's Douglas Lee Pruitt, and my grandfather's name was General. So if I was to follow in the and that's his real name, and if I was to follow in that, it'd been General Douglas Lee Pruitt, and I'm that so super th- civil war. It would have been really cool when I was 11, but not now. So anyway, just call me Chappy or, or, or Brody. All right, we'll call you we'll call you Chap or whatever rolls off the tongue. There you go. Um, to kind of start, all of our interviews kind of get two questions asked to them, very lighthearted questions, and after that, we'll kind of go into what. Um, what I'm, I'm doing kinda, here? Kinda, yeah, that's what you're doing here. <laughs> um, so first off, what got you? Because I'm assuming you're a fly fisherman yep. as well. So what got you personally into fly fishing? What's well, that story like? I'm glad you didn't ask if I was a good fly fisherman. I can. Well, uh, none of us are. I'm not a good fly. I'm not a good fish catcher, but I can anyway. Um, about so I'll back up a little bit. And I'm going to answer this with a little bit of a bio of Rally Project is okay. our is our nonprofit. Uh, the Rally Project was formed uh, out of a Nash as a as a public campaign out of my other nonprofit, and in that um, I'm a law enforcement chaplain. Um, so everybody's clear. I did not serve in the military. I'm the only one in a bloodline, so they wouldn't let me. So I partied. We'll just leave it right there. And yeah, now I'm a law enforcement chaplain. If you can figure out the testimony in the middle there. Anyway, so. In the process of being a law enforcement chaplain, now I don't do jail ministry, I don't do inmate ministry, I do, um, so when my phone goes off, there's blood on the wall somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. I do death notifications, suicide calls, um, negotiator, blah, 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 all that stuff that uh, you see on TV that looks all glamorous, but it is not. Anyway, um, young veteran suicides. Um, veteran suicide in the U.S. is uh, roughly 22 a day. 
And um, I was going to ask, are you do do you do anything with Project Twenty Two or anything um, like that? So Kill Twenty Two here locally is a group that we kind of work with. Um, what we do is so different than a lot of those other organizations because of my background and because our leaders in our groups or our projects are all trained in peer-to-peer um, mentoring. Mm-hmm. So when we go fishing, um, that that leader from our organization is actually a peer leader so that they're able to kind of identify some issues. And then we as an organization can kind of start helping fix those issues, or I shouldn't say fix, but be there for them. Um, so backing up, we, we started the nonprofit to try to start helping, I hate to use the word, but the pandemic mm-hmm. of uh, veteran suicide. Mm-hmm. So I'm in law enforcement, and I started realizing really quickly, one of the things that I do is I'm, I'm, I'm a critical debriefer on a SISM team. I know those are big words, but that just means when there's a shooting or some kind of uh, uh, bad call in law enforcement and fire response, say there's an auto accident and there's been a, a child killed. Well, those first responders have to get off the call and start dealing with all that. So that, that's one of the things that I do. Um, I started realizing cumulative stress in law enforcement and, and first responders across the board, fire, EMS, um, even medical workers, uh, is huge, huge. And so and anybody listening that's a vet, when I say this, I apologize up front, but not really. You'll understand it. The men and women coming home from war, they take their boots off and then they deal with all their crap as best they can. And the government does good or bad. I don't, you know, I'm not going to get into the debate of the VA and all that. But the men and women that we ask to put their boots on tomorrow and go back out on a call that could be your family on their next call, I want them to be 100% because if it's my son that's been in a car wreck, I don't need that officer or a fireman to freak out because they smell something that triggered something from a previous call and he freezes. So cumulative stress, post-traumatic stress, I don't like the word disorder, but this junk that we all carry around, even, mm-hmm. even a, a, a citizen has certain things that, that, that affects their next movement. So I'm going to back up. How did I get started in fly fishing? I had a call, talking to a guy. Um, it was a uh, death notification. Um, and he um, was pretty stressed out. And we walked out in the garage. He wanted to smoke cigarettes, so I walk out there with him. And usually by this time, law enforcement's gone. It's just... It's just Chappie and this guy. And I realized, wow, this guy's a fisherman. And he goes, yeah, that's, you know, I'm fly fishing. This is, this is my only solace. I'm probably going to be on the water in the morning mm-hmm. to deal with all this. And I thought, okay, that's cool. So then I'm driving down the road. I've just got back into fly fishing. I, was, I fished up in Wisconsin where I lived when I was younger and, um, and haven't done it in years. So had the opportunity to go up to the, I lived down in Granbury, southwest of Fort Worth. So we went out to the river coming home and I pulled up to the dam store, which is a store right by the dam. And this truck pulls up and I think, look over and I go, man, that's pretty cool. I've seen that logo on that truck before. That guy's from like Colorado. He's a big fly fisherman. It's called Fatties on the Fly. I've seen this. And I'm digging around on the Facebook going, where are they at? Why is this guy in Granbury of all places? And the guy steps out and I go, hey, how are you involved with Fatties on the Fly? And he's like, I own it. And I'm like, what? What are you doing down here? I live right over there. What? So it's a guy that owns a fly fishing subscription box mm-hmm. company that lives in Granbury. And I thought, how many fly fishermen are in this area? And he's like, oh, there's like 74 of us in North Texas. And he's laughing. 
And I said, man, I'd love to know more. High I, numbers. I, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you know, because we're bass fishermen down there. You got the lake and yeah. you got the river and bow fishing. So Ben, Tabor, and I got to become friends. And I told him, I said, man, I haven't fly fished in forever. I think it's so cool. You know, I've ultimately wanted to, you know, tie some flies and all this. And one thing led to another, and I'll use my terms. God kept putting fly fishing right in front of me, like dangling this fly on the water, and I'm supposed to rise. To, and I'm like, okay. So I have a young veteran. We do these ruck marches. Man, I'm giving you a big, big, long answer to no, this. I, uh, I'm enjoying <laughs> this. Oh, for real. We do ruck marches. So that's where you'll see guys walking With down the With heavy packs. Yeah. I use that as a workout occasionally, Absolutely. especially we, if I'm getting ready for, like, some hunting season yeah, stuff. We, we're a go ruck. We do all this stuff. Yeah. So, now you've opened a whole other door. But we were doing this ruck, and this young veteran showed up. Well, when I first saw him, I didn't think he was a veteran. I thought he was a hippie. Okay, he's both. Um, young Army infantryman, um, tatted out, pierced everything. He had a Mohawk dreadlocks, did a 15-mile or a 22K, 13-mile, uh, uh, ruck in flip-flops with a heavy 75-pound pack on. And about three minutes into the ruck, now he signed the piece of paper, and, you know, there's a hundred of us, and I'm executive director. I'm running on my head cut off. And about 10, 15 minutes into the ruck, I scooted back by him. I'm like, hey, man, it's nice to meet you. I'm Chopin Pruitt. You know, what's your name? Oh, my name's Blake. I'm like, cool. What's, you know, what brought you out today? Man, I'm here carrying the load for my brothers that didn't make it home. And I'm like, oh, God. Look, those cold chills right there, that means something. Um, I know we're not on camera, but I can feel what that meant. So Blake and I got to know each other, um, you know, young guy, just home. Um, we started, uh, you know, a little friendship. Um, he's got his own life. He's married and got a wife. They move up to Anna, Texas, which is north of Dallas. And I haven't heard from him for a while. Stay on Instagram and Facebook, and I see what's going on. And I kind of see he's not doing real good, you know. And I'm trying to, trying to help him a little bit, you know, encourage him on the, on the Facebook and Instagram, I think it was. And the next thing I know, I see a picture of him with a, cat, a fly rod in his hand and a, something about that he started fly fishing. And he's got a smile on I've never seen, ever. And then I start seeing pictures of, like, he's tying flies. And I see this smile, and I'm like, okay, he's found something. So it's another one of those things that God went, hey, dummy, wake up here. So at that point, he went through his junk, ended up back in Granbury called me and said hey uh how's it going and we talked and and one thing led to another and he had been involved in another program doing uh, fly tying groups and stuff um and uh said i i really want to do something and i said well, let's do this so i said let's give it a couple days let's think about it see what we can do um i went back to him and said hey you know we we could layer this in one of our projects you know come up with a name uh, I literally a couple hours later, he goes, what about Real Heroes, R-E-E-L, Heroes, Heroes Project? Yeah. And I said, let's do it. So we ran with it. Uh, that was about six months ago. Oh. And then he said, uh, hey, there's this, uh, this, this fly fishing expo and brew fest. And I'm like, brew? Coffee? Beer? I'm in. Uh, and uh, so we contacted Bo, and we're here. Gotcha. So we're one of the nonprofits here, how did I get into fly fishing? Um, I got in it just kind of, I, I think, because I'm either not smart enough to look away, and God kept putting it right in front of me. Now, I'm not a big religious guy. Um, I, I love talking theological stuff, but that, that's just not me. Um, 
But I know that when I look up and I meet people and I realize that it's helping those men and women or what we call American servant warriors, that there's a purpose for it. Uh-huh. Then he calls me and says, hey, I got a guy I want you to meet. His name's, I'm not going to, Sam, I, I know you can't hear me right now, but I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. But we call him KP, uh, another Army uh, infantryman. Uh, same thing. He started Tie and Flies with uh, Project Healing Waters, uh, same organization Blake was involved with. And um, one thing led to another, and KP, his first name Sam, uh, moved up to Missouri. And one thing led to another, and now we have a director in Missouri. Nice. And it looks like we got one coming in Arizona and Arkansas also. So, And then nice. one of my main directors is out of Colorado. He doesn't fly fish yet. <laughs> it's just a matter yeah, of time. That's the key word. He will be the uh, the place that we land when we go to Colorado. So what got me into it? I, I You know what? I don't know. Um, it seems like... To me, what got you into it was it's like a mixture of all that, honestly. Yeah. yeah, and God just kind of placing it on your heart. Yeah, and 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 you know, if you ever saw my cast, you'd probably giggle. If you saw the amount of fish that I've ever caught, you'd really. It, but it's not about me fishing; it's about that it helps some of these men and women mm. that have given so much to this country and continually give. So we're, we're going to do some casting classes. We're going to do some fly tying groups. We're going to do some uh, local guides are giving us some, uh, some free services. Uh, ben with Fatties on the Fly has a guiding service now. So he's like, dude, I'll take anybody out anytime. But he works a real job, too, and he's got a wife and all that. And I'm mm-hmm. saying, well, let's not overwhelm anybody. Right. But I'll tell you this. The guides here are like, man, I'll bring guys up for me. And I'm like, that's what it's about. You know, if, if yeah. I never have the opportunity to fly fish again, which I hope that's not a case, but if I don't, it's it's there for those men and women, and we've mo- we've started moving in a way to assist them get the help they need because so much of it is that they feel alone. But you know, one place that can be alone that's really good is about ankle deep in some nice cool water. Yeah, I agree. You know? <laughs> I yeah. agree. But not all the time. These men and women can get themselves spun up really bad, especially at night. Um, and then the next thing you know, somebody's whispering in your ear, and it's never good. And then. I've been on way too many veteran suicides. Um, it's it's an ugly thing. And then I want to lay something out there. Um, you know, we're at this expo, and um, I got a call last night from one of the JPs in our area, and we had another veteran suicide last night. Young female took her life. Her husband is 100% disabled also. Um, and so for Chaplin to uh, be here in a spunky mood and everything and having to deal with that, uh, I'm thankful that I've got people... Um, like Stacy James, he took the call last night. Thank you, Stacy. Uh, Jordan Stenson, uh, another Army veteran that was able to get on that call for us. Um, we're there, 24/7, 365. One of our programs called Crisis Connect, and that's what happened last night. So when I jokingly said I got to get some coffee in me this morning, uh, let's see, my shirts. Yeah, the black rifle, but first coffee yeah, shirt. So yeah. you know, I wore it appropriately, and I haven't had enough coffee. But as you can tell, I can talk about this forever. So, um, what got me into fly fishing? I, you know, it's it's just too damn cool not to be part of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> Um, yesterday, you mentioned and that was a, a really heavy uh, a topic <laughs> to start the morning <laughs> yeah. with. Um, but yesterday, when we first started talking, you mentioned that you had a podcast as well. Would you like to plug yeah. that? Well, we're, we're, we've recorded a few of them. Uh, it's going to be the American Warrior uh, podcast uh, on the, uh, let's see. So my IT uh, producer slash young son should be the one telling you about this. Um, so we're going to start a little podcast network. And then um, I did radio for nine years in the Austin market and television and all that fun stuff back in the day. 
Um, so the podcast is going to be the American Servant Warrior podcast, and uh, we've got a few recorded. We haven't posted any yet. Um, so as soon as we get that posted, we'll, uh, we'll get you guys on. Okay. But we'll be talking about a lot of different things, but the projects, kind of the heavy stuff, but not really. We'll, we're really going to talk about the lighter stuff. But the main thing is so that men and women, that uh, they know how they can be served, how they can serve, how they can help. Uh, give us advice. I know that's the one that you don't want to open that door sometimes, but um, my advisors and the advice I get from people is is what makes us what we are. And then, you know, it's a nonprofit, how we can get some donations, how we can do personal donations, how we can do stuff like that. So I don't want to plug it too hard yet, but uh, when we get up and rolling, uh, it'll be on all the, how do you say it, uh, all the podcast networks. Main networks. Yeah. yeah. I got you. <laughs> well, Doug, it was great to sit down and talk to you. I appreciate it. That was a lot heavier than what yeah. I, I thought, but it, it sounds like it's a lot of really good work. Don't what? let me say that oh, it's amazing. heavy. No, it, like that, that's yeah. a bad thing. That's a that was a really good interview, and I'm excited to see where it goes. It's going for be, y'all. I it, wanna I wanna see if there's not a way that we can't get involved and help out as yeah. well. Um, even if that means just kind of plugging y'all every so often to get people involved. Absolutely. And Until, that again, I, if people are wanting to get go to it, it is real honor project no real, real heroes. heroes project real heroes project you can go to realheroesproject.com that's r-e-e-l or you can go to rally-project.com it all leads to the same site hey i want to finish with something okay. um yeah that's kind of some heavy stuff one of the cool things that we get to do is we get to get out there and meet the men and women that serve this great nation that continue to serve it they're always there when we need them um there's a lot of them here I mean, did you know what Bo did for a living for, like, his yeah, whole life? Yeah, we, we had him on the podcast a few weeks before yeah. this event. So the more and more I'm around, I run into all these guys, these hose draggers and these cops and, mm. you know, everything else that's involved in this. And you see the men and women walking down here that's got the hats on, the veteran hats. You know, get a chance. Ask them, what'd you do? And you'll start getting a smile on your face from the stories they tell you. You know, I don't know if your guys, you know, parents or grandparents, anybody served, but you want to know a fun group. A fun group is some of these post 9-11 veterans. When you get a, a couple shots of whiskey or a cold beer in them or a couple heavy cups of strong coffee and just hang out and, and let them know that, you know, thanks for your service. Welcome home. And, uh, hey, let's go fishing. Yeah. Good stuff, yeah. guys. I appreciate y'all very much. And my question's always, is it boxers or briefs or what type of ice cream do you like the best? You want to go first, Carson? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a briefs guy. Okay. And uh, I don't know. Ice cream. I'm, vanilla, probably. No, I'm, I'm not much of a chocolate look at guy. That. A boxers and vanilla guy. Briefs. Briefs. Bri- I'm sorry, briefs. Yeah. Yes. That's as about as... Uh, it says generic as cool and vanilla it as you can get. everything. Yeah. Okay. Give, give me. Three. I am a boxer brief guy. I like that long okay. leg. I, I'm with you. But there. I still want to have that support. <laughs> um, See? See the difference there? Also, ice cream. I would have to say a good old school butter pecan or a homemade peach ice cream. I, I changed my ice cream, cookies okay. and cream. Oh, there you go. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Add a little spice in the life. That's good. But that 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 sums me up too. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm not, Doug, I'm not going to answer what mine are. So thanks for being. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks thank for you so much. Nothing in coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Commando and coffee. I was going to say it, but I'm trying. You know, it's Sunday morning here, guys. I appreciate um, you very much. Have a I great show. I appreciate you sitting down and talking with us. Anytime. And 
uh, let's link up somehow uh, and try and get something rolling so that we can plug y'all a little yeah. bit more often and Man, get love, people involved because I think that's 100%. a great worthwhile uh, organization that yeah. oh, all, I appreciate it. all of us on the podcast truly do support. Yes. You know, and if there's anybody listening out there that wants to give time, support, advice, volunteerism, just, just hunt us down. I, I mean, it's, it's that simple. And the advice thing, you know, I'll always listen to somebody's advice, good or bad, but I learn so much and I'm looking forward to learning from you guys and being able to kind of grow this community into something very special. So in the podcast world, Joe Rogan, look out. Here we come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Well, guys, that's going to conclude our interview with Doug Pruitt of Real Heroes Project. Um, we will link his organization in the show notes, so be on the lookout for that. Thank you. Hey, guys, this is going to be our fourth interview for the uh, <coughs> Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival uh, trade show. This interview is going to be with Eric Camfield of Alter Fly Fishing. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing great, guys. Good to hear. Now, we've actually been able to hang out and talk to you even after the show. You're a pretty cool co- guy. <laughs> what was I going to say there, guy? <laughs> that, that, um, that just may be the Texas barbecue talking that we were able to share last night. Wasn't that cool? Probably. Like we were invited to yeah, a uh, barbecue, so, we so were, that was awesome. It was us and um, Cast Your Faith Faith and Alter were all invited to go to the Episcopal Church here in town. And Cast Your Faith ended up cooking us some spatchcock chicken, some Mm -hmm. skirt steak, some other stuff. And it's really good good fellowship and good times. And got to explore the church grounds and all this other stuff. Um, Watched a few... April Vokey fly fishing videos and Hank Patterson stuff and yep. had a real good time. Absolutely. Um, Eric, so to start off, to kind of get the ball rolling, <laughs> we always like to ask two questions. Um, they're lighthearted, but it kind of gets the, we found, kind of gets the conversation rolling. So we'll start out with that. First off, Eric, uh, what got you in, into fly fishing? <laughs> and, uh, and tell us where you're from because you're not from Texas. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not from Texas. Uh, I grew, I was born and raised in Ohio. I've lived in Pennsylvania, Florida, Ohio again, and then I've been in Chicago the last 16 years, and I am ready to head south or west as soon as I can, but uh, uh, it's been good. I I grew up uh, fishing with my grandfather. We were fishing buddies. Some of my earliest memories were my grandfather waking me up on a Saturday morning when I'm four or five years old. He'd say, get up, Hoss, we're going fishing. (laughs) You know, and those were pre-cell phone days, and so we would leave at 7. We wouldn't come back till 9.30, 10 o'clock. We'd fish till dark. My mom's freaking out because her little boy's, like, gone, and I was like, we were just fishing. So, anyway, that tradition started when I was young, and then when I was in college, I traded a gold chain at the pawn shop for a fly rod. And Sounds our, like a solid trade. Yeah, that's, for real. that's a great trade. And I remember the first cast, and I was like, ooh, I like this. And so that kind of launched me into fly fishing. I married into a fly fishing family, which was awesome. They're all from Pennsylvania. And so we fish Penn's Creek, which is some of Joe Humphrey's home waters. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I've been blessed. And then... It just grew through some other experiences. People have been generous to me to give me some experiences that I probably would have never done myself. And and Alter eventually got its start, you know, not too many years ago and a culmination of just some vision and experiences coming together. So okay. that's a long answer to your question, but 
It was the pawn shop in our little college town that I got <laughs> my first I, mean, I feel like that's a solid, that's the way it probably needs to happen, though. Yeah. Like, let's be honest, don't go out and buy the $1,000 Orvis Helios rod right. if you want to go for it, because that's a great investment as well. But yep. start with a, a pawn shop gold chain watch yeah. or a gold chained <laughs> fly rod. Um, second question that we always ask is, or try to always ask, is what's been your most memorable fish or experience on the water wow um like that one that keeps you either up at night that you're like uh as uh clay was telling us last night it was a quarter inch shy of the state record and everyone was like you should have kept on pulling it dislocated the spine and got it <laughs> right there at it uh there's a fish that got away, and there's a fish that actually I just caught last year when we were in college. We were, uh, three of us were in my little eight-foot john boat. We may have been skipping a class. I'm not sure. Uh, but we knew there were some big pike and uh, stuff in this lake, but we did mostly bass fishing. Um, but anyway, I hook what is a nice bass I can feel. I'm reeling it in. We're in the middle of the lake. Lake. We got my two buddies, each have fly rods, right? So, I mean, we got line whipping all over in this tiny little boat. I'm, like, ducked down there and in this fish. And all of a sudden, like, my rod, I almost lost my rod, and I almost went over the side of the boat. It was just, like, boom, like, over the edge. And I'm, like, holding on. And I was, like, oh, like, pulling, pulling. And then, like, the line broke off. So, old Ben, as we named him, is still probably in that lake somewhere. <clears throat> Uh, the fish that I think about most often now was uh, I caught my first bull trout, which was uh, a decent one, probably 26 inches or so, on the Kootenai River with Dave, Dave Blackburn's Kootenai Angler. So we actually did the, uh, a trip we call the soul of a pastor. We, we bring pastors together just to invest into them. This was at Dave Blackburn's place in Libby, Montana. Uh, but it was my first bull trout. Uh, and it was awesome. So we were also shooting a video. If you go on the website, the video you see, actually, you, you'll see that mm. that bull trout on that video. Um, but we had the, the drones out. And so, like, the pressure was on to catch a decent fish because they have, they're loaded with fish in the Kootenai, but they're they're smaller, but they're their own. It's the red band rainbow, right? So it's a unique strain of rainbow. But we hadn't caught any monsters. And so we were hunting for the monster, monster trout. We probably should have had Landon with us. He could have dialed us in. Landon Mayor, um, but it was right. It was towards the end of the day that finally we hooked in. <laughs> it was my first bull trout, right? So it was. It's awesome. Yeah, pretty it's spectacular. Always, uh, yeah. So just check another one off the list. So yeah. So I know you kind of already talked about yourself a little bit, but um, why don't you tell us like about your organization? Yeah, Alter. It's a faith-based organization. Yeah, it is. Yep. Um, yeah. So I mean, our our hope is that we want to bring lasting change in the lives of people, and I have a heart for men. I have a heart for leaders. A lot of my ministry, I'm a pastor um, and I've done some missions work. I've been in business, professional baseball before that, right? So the most unorthodox road to being a pastor, but it's always given me access to men and leaders. And certainly as a pastor, I have a heart for pastors because the stati- we're just losing our pastors. Like they are struggling uh, physically, mentally, relationally, spiritually. And so with all of those uh, men, we're doing our first women's trip, leaders trip, pastors trip. We just call them all the soul of, so the soul of a man, the soul of a leader, the soul of a pastor. Uh, and we just want to come alongside them and really take a spiritual retreat and a fly fishing trip, like a lot of people have done fly fishing trips. But we bring those two things together in a unique way to give people kind of an unforgettable experience because we want to read the waters of life. That's where we begin, just kind of where are we at on this whole journey? 
Uh, we want to get below the surface. <clears throat> and then we want people to leave really with a plan or some intentionality to say, when I return back to my home waters, quote unquote, you know, the next cast of my life needs to be, and then we follow up for three, four, six months after a trip, helping people actually live into whatever those desires are that get cultivated on the trip. Um, and so it, it's it's a blast. Like, I just love seeing uh, lasting life change in people's lives. That's so awesome. Alter's really given that platform and that experience, uh, which is just, I mean, how do you beat fly fishing? It's in beautiful places, right? Beautiful creation. Uh Good friends gather around the campfire at night, but but we get into some some pretty important stuff uh, in a way that's accessible for folks. Yeah, and uh, so we're I mean we're grateful the stories that we have reporting back from people that have gone on trips. It's just so encouraging. We've seen marriages saved. Um, it's it's been pretty awesome. So we we love what we do. Great. Well, that uh, I want to make sure that we also stay in contact. Um, I believe we gave you a card yesterday. We can give you some more stuff. Great. But I know me personally, I want to stay in contact because I do like the aspect of the faith-based organization and mm-hmm. tying it into fly fishing because as we were discussing yesterday, that's where where I feel like most grounded in my faith is when I'm outdoors yep. and working with you. And I know we were talking to your, your partner, Nate, Mm-hmm. last night as well and we're going to try and get him on the podcast because he has another guiding service that he works with right so we're going to try and do that as well it's awesome why don't you like plug your plug your organization yeah. like the website <laughs> instagram whatever it is yeah so on all those platforms if you just go to alter a-l-t-a-r flyfishing.org that's the main website you can link to everything you can see a video I'd say stay tuned because we're going to start putting some resources on there throughout the course of this year. Uh, really, for anybody, we want to help deepen and grow people's faith, even if they never join us on a trip. Our passion is just to serve people. So it's uh, some new technology, a unique platform uh, with part of a group that I'm with. But it uh, will be kind of these app-driven growth plans, and we're going to do some value-add fly fishing stuff through some of the relationships we have. And... Uh, yeah, and so we're still, we've got some openings for our trips this year. We're starting to put 2022, 2023. Uh, and we also, we do father-son trips as well. So uh, we're talking to uh, one dad that has a whole group of dads that he just wants to bring. They want to do this in community together. So, uh, you know, we're flexible. We can accommodate a lot, but uh, stay close to us. And we'd love to have, love to have you out fish with us. Have yeah, you guys awesome. out fishing with us sometime? Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, it would. Um, all right, so I think we will start to conclude this interview and uh, thank you so get much back for to coming the trade on. show because yeah, I know right. like people are starting to trickle in, and I don't want to keep you from your booth too too long. Yeah, no, but, appreciate you guys. Thanks for being a champion of the ministry and helping share other people's stories. Like that's a special thing. So appreciate it. Thank, thank you. Blessings to you guys. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. And we're back. This is going to be our fifth interview at the trade show here at Mesquite Fly Fishing Festival, or Fly Fishing and Brew Fest, Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival. Yeah, you think I'd <laughs> learn to say it. And now we are going to do a little lighthearted interview with another young kid by the name of Nick Christian. Now, if that last name sounds familiar, it's because we had his dad on yesterday with Castor Faith, Mr. Clayton christian and we are they have them both on good morning here how are y'all doing we're awesome so 
We actually met, met up with Nick and Clay last night after the uh, fly fishing festival and uh, got to fellowship and have some dinner with them. And what else did we do, Nick? Uh, we also uh, had dinner, and uh, some will be coming on later. His name is Campbell Jacoby and Jeff Jacoby. Yeah. What else did, did I thought we were playing some games yesterday. What What did we play? Uh, we played soccer, and uh, mostly I always lost. <laughs> I don't know about that, y'all. I could hang out with y'all for about five minutes before I was huffing and puffing. Yes. <laughs> running all over al- that uh, parish hall. Yeah, and he also bounces his uh, the soccer ball on his head. Yeah, I did do that a couple of times, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Um. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it from now through June on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure, and agony as teams go head to head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through the pain is the name of the game. With so much edge of your seat action, you'll refuse to shave. Or change your jersey. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs now on TNT and CBS. Well, Nick, uh, do you fish? We uh, didn't talk yes, about sir. that. You do. What's your uh, what got you into fishing? Uh, because one day I was fishing with my dad, and uh, I got a I uh, got a couple of trouts, and then I uh, when I got older, I wanted to do fly fishing with my dad. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. What do you What do you think your most memorable fish is? Like your favorite fish? My mm, one is I'm gonna go for the rainbow trout. Rainbow Ooh, trout is, is a solid it's fish. A solid fish to choose. <laughs> At six, he's casting better than me. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty true. The first thing, so last night. Last night when we walked into the Paris Hall and I was introduced to Nick and he uh, started talking to me, the first thing he said was, I'm going to be on your podcast. <laughs> and I'm like, you are? He said, yes, sir, I am. And the one thing that stuck out to me is we're in Texas and I don't hear too many people talk like me here. And I go up to Clay and I was like, where did that boy get his accent from? Because he sounds like me and I love it. I love it too. <laughs> keep, keep that going, and it'll serve you well in in life. I will. Well, Nick, I uh, I was able to go get something that I want you to have. I don't know if it's something you'd be interested or not, but I got these as I was kind of hungry one at one time, <laughs> and I don't know what to do with them. And I'm wondering if you may. Do you like Pokemon? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so there's a, a small set of Pokemon cards in there that I want you to have. How's that sound? 
That's great. Thanks. No problem. I wish y'all could see his face right now. You can't see it on the podcast, but he's smiling ear to ear. He is. (laughs) How'd you like being on your first podcast, Nick? Um, it's really fun, and, um, it's inspired me to do more. Oh, yeah? It's inspired you to do more. What has it inspired you to do? Just um, just be have fun and talk about fishing and some other stuff. That's, that's awesome. That's a good way. That's why we started this is because we exactly. all wanted to talk about fishing and hunting. Mm-hmm. Well, Nick, it's been great to have you on. Um, we're going to let y'all go, and we're going to continue to do the trade show. How's that yep. sound? Good. Thank hey, you, guys. Are you going to hang Thank out you. with us a little bit today? Uh, yeah. All right. Sounds good. All right, guys, so our next interview is going to be with Evan. How do you pronounce your last name? Sledge. Sledge, like a hammer. Yep. Um, <laughs> and he is with Morning Whiskey Coffee, who is a trade partner here at the Texas uh, Fly Fishing and Brew Festival. Uh, his coffee is best known for being aged in bourbon barrels. Yep. So it gives it that nice bourbony finish that our listeners have come to love that we know or know that we have come to love. Um, Evan, uh, I understand that you're a fly fisher as well as a, yeah. a coffee addict. For sure, dude. So it actually kind of started with uh, the fishing side. Okay. Oh, really? So, we grew up Greenberry, Texas, and um, about a week before high school graduation, me and a couple buddies looked at each other and we're like, dude, what are we going to do with our lives? I've definitely and, been there. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, I don't know, but we like fishing. So uh, I actually started, moved to Alaska out of high school, became a fishing guide on the Kenai River, Kasilof River. Okay. Um, my brother and sister came up there, so we had sledge outfitters for six seasons. Is that still operational? It is, kind of. So, okay. in the whole time of this guiding, running boats on the Kenai, we were tired of spending all of our money in the off-season. So, we're like, we need to do a little something, and that's when Whiskey Morning Coffee came about. Okay. So, we started aging coffee in whiskey barrels. Um, selling it at farmers markets, selling it to friends, selling it to people we were guiding duck hunts and stuff with. And over the years, it's kind of transitioned to now that's our full-time job. Gotcha. We fish for, for, fun, for fun now. We guide the people that we really like to guide, you know? Yeah. Gotcha. So it's kind of made a little switch. It's, yeah, that, that's so legit. So you started fly f- No, I'm assuming you were fly fishing before high school as well or before that senior year. Or was that just like the kicker not really dude we uh catfished like my granddad back when he fished it was all about getting feed you know so we'd hit up lake granberry squaw creek we'd fish crappie catfish bass and um it wasn't really until alaska where i picked Picked up up my first fly rod Mm -hmm. and what got you interested in that just being around it and friends kind of sucking you into fly fishing oh yeah dude well, I'd say what really got me hooked is slamming kings on conventional gear. And then I saw a dude, and he had a old knuckle buster. So uh-huh. if you fish kings with the fly rod, we call it a knuckle buster. And, dude, he got a big old king on there, and this thing's just stripping. And I'm like, man, that's cool. I said, I like catching kings on conventional, but I really want to sweep and try and hit one of these dudes on the fly. Yeah. And then from that day on, man, we were chasing the rainbows, the dollies, the silvers, the kings, 
And I guess that's where the love of the fly came in. Oh, awesome. That's awesome. Sounds like a great story. Yeah. Uh, what's been your most memorable fish? My most memorable fish would be um, my second season up in Alaska. And I had a family. There was like an eight-year-old kid, a five-year-old kid. And the parents were pretty young, and they had been saving up because they always wanted to go to Alaska. He didn't get to go with his father, so he was going to bring his kids along. And, you know, these kings, it's hard. It's like big game hunting, man. Mm -hmm. You're out there searching for one big take. And when you get that take, you got to keep on him because they're 40, 50-pounders in Mm -hmm. July, and they're going to run about a mile and a half downstream. And we're in drift boats, so we ain't got a motor, so we're just chasing that dude. So we're sitting there, and we'd probably been fishing for like two hours, and no bites, no nothing, but the tide was coming in, so I told him, I was like, this is our shot, you know, we got high tide coming, those fish are going to be following it, and I said, just watch your rods, and honestly, as a guide, I knew it was going to be a little slower, but what I was praying for is that one strike we'd get, I was like, I hope it's the dad's rod, because mm-hmm. when these kids get it, we're going to be kind of screwed. And next thing I know, man, the eight-year-old, his rod's just plowed over, like tip in the water. And I'm like, holy crap. I was like, get it, get it, get it, get it. And the whole family started freaking out, you know. He couldn't get out of the rod holder. So I got up there, ripped it out of the holder, gave it to him. And um, he's fighting it, and the dad's up at the top. And I'm like, dude, we got to chase this fish. This is a big old fish. So I pull anchor, and I'm like, we're going to go for it. I said, just make sure we don't hit any huge, like, boulders or anything. Mm. He's like, all right, dude, I'll watch you. So we're chasing this fish. The kid's doing all he can do, hooping and hollering down the river. And the dad looks back at me, and he's like, dude, we're about to hit some rapids. And I, like, look up, man, and we're going, like, right through the canyons. I'm like, all right, everybody hang on. So, like, the kid's fighting the fish. The whole family's hanging on to the sides, and we're just pinballing it, man, tapping rocks left and right. And somehow, the fish didn't come off or get cut on a rock, and we come out the other end, and the kid still got it. And we netted the fish. It was like a 48-pounder, and it just made the whole So trip. the 8-year-old that landed, landed the 48-pound king. That's an yeah. awesome story. Oh, that is an awesome story. It is, story. dude. It's still uh, like my Venmo picture. Uh-huh. People are paying me in Venmo today, yeah. and I still have that picture as my Venmo picture. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that was a cool fish. That is great. That is awesome. Uh, yeah. So... Tell us a little bit more about Morning Whiskey Coffee. Yeah, so Whiskey Morning Coffee. Sorry, like got that. it wrong again. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, kind of started as a side hustle. My family, we're three generations of distillers, so we grew up making whiskey. My granddad, Dub Sledge, was a World War II moonshiner. And I met a kid in college who was from Guatemala, and his family's coffee farmers. So we were like, dude. You've got coffee. I've got whiskey barrels. What would happen if we aged coffee in our used bourbon barrels? Is the coffee, when you're aging it in the bourbon barrels, is it in liquid form at that point? Or is it you're aging the beans in the bourbon barrel? So we're aging the beans, green beans. So before coffee's roasted, it's called green coffee. Mm -hmm. So there's no actual liquid in the barrel, but we load it with about 30 pounds of coffee. goes back to the barrel room and you turn it just like whiskey barrels Mm -hmm. and age it, and that wood's got a lot of liquor left in it. So as the temperature changes, the wood's doing this number, going in and out. So that coffee's going to absorb that whiskey, 
And then when you roast it, you burn off the alcohol, but you leave those whiskey tones. It's a really, I had a cup of coffee from y'all this morning, and I came back here, and I sat down, and I took my first sip of it, and I was like, ooh, yeah, th- this is legit. And I was like, because the temperature was still really hot, so once it kind of cooled down to actually being able to drink it, drink yeah. it, you were able to start picking up those bourbony whiskey notes on the back end of the coffee. You could mm-hmm. get the aroma of that whiskey in it too. And I was like, this is legit. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to have to go back over there and buy a couple bags. <laughs> uh, where are y'all? Are y'all still out of, you said, grape? Yeah, so uh, we're southwest of Fort Worth, about 40 miles, and we're in a little town called Toller, Toller. which is outside of Granbury. Okay, and then uh, how do people, if people are interested, because our podcast, we do have whiskey reviews on weekly episodes, and so it's kind of been a big part of our culture coming up is the whiskey reviews. Um, So a lot of people have gone out to buy the whiskeys that we have reviewed. If someone's wanting to try it as a coffee, how do they reach out to y'all to buy coffee? Where can they purchase you from? So the easiest way would probably be whiskeymorningcoffee.com. You can order on there. And then also Amazon. So if you search whiskey coffee or whiskeymorningcoffee.com or pop up, and that's free two-day shipping. Um, for Prime members, so that makes it super easy. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely gonna have to go back and stop by and pick up a couple bags. Yeah, it, yeah, I know man. some. I know some guys who are like, right before duck hunting, this is gonna be great. Although oh, yeah. duck season's done over with now, so I'm gonna have to hold it I somehow. <laughs> I don't know how long I'm gonna be able to hold that yeah. for without drinking it yeah. myself. I had a few drinks and it. It's it's really good coffee. Yeah, Thanks, man. I'm gonna have to. Definitely swing back over. Well, Evan, yeah, thank you for uh, stopping by and talking with us. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll get some of your information. So when we put out the podcast, we'll put a show notes link to the Amazon and link to y'all's webpage so people can go through. They can buy your coffee if they want to. That's great. Thanks right. for having me. Yeah, no thank problem. You. Thank you, Evan. Thank you. Hey, guys. We kind of got a, a little legend on with us now. Uh, we are sitting with Landon Mayer or Meyer, because I've heard it go both ways since yes. we've been here. You know, what do you prefer? How it, does your family say it? Yeah, you bet it's Mayer. Mayer, Mayer. okay. Yeah. But I'll, I'll accept Meyer. It's <laughs> okay. You're not going to start saying, no, I'm not going to be on this podcast and flipping tables. <laughs> no, um, Landon ha- is... I believe I read where you're a pro team member with Sims. Mm -hmm. Um, You're also a fly designer with Umqua. Uh, You've written a number of books on uh, trout trout fishing. fishing. Uh, You've published in Fly Fisherman, uh, Field and Stream, and a list of other places. So pretty pretty accomplished. man i would i would have to say um and you run your own guide service as well absolutely definitely want to make sure we talk to you about that um to kind of get the ball rolling uh everyone knows we asked two questions and i went over those before we started uh but first what got you being such a big name what got you into fly fishing or has it always just kind of been around no it was honestly an 11 mile canyon for me my roots are are in the south platte river an 11 mile canyon and i'm born and raised in colorado springs okay and to be honest when i was a kid i just used to watch people we'd travel around do some hiking in the mountains i'll never forget going in 11 mile canyon and seeing people casting the fly and you know at the time i was throwing a rooster tail or something with a spin rig and thought man this is this is really cool and from there, I just ended up going to the local fly shop. And at the time, it was the Angler's Covey. And 
I met some really cool people in there, and, and from there it's kind of history just moving on. I, I started tying classes when I was 13, and the only way I funded it, I have to make this point because my kids are like, what, Dad, you want us to work at what age? At age 12, I, I started throwing a newspaper route with the Gazette Telegraph, and in doing that, I saved up a little bit of money in some of the routes, and my very first reel was uh, Orvis Battengill, and I remember that was my big purchase in the sports. So, yeah, it's just been fun, man. I, I enjoy it, and being at shows like this here in Texas and other events and what you guys are doing, it, it's just cool to see that passion and enthusiasm, you know? Yeah, yeah. definitely. So, I, uh, you, I know you've probably fished a lot of places, but uh, what would you say your most memorable fish is? Oh, that's a good one. The most memorable fish... I would, you know, the most memorable fish for me was a, was a large brown trout I caught on the South Platte River. And I tell people jokingly, it's kind of true, though, that one trout really helped jumpstart my career. It's basically a brown trout allowed me to have a career in fly fishing, and I caught this on a Copper John. And what was really neat about that is that in return, down the road, it was like four or five months, it appeared in a, an article in the Denver Post written by Charlie Myers. And I was at the show, and John Barr walked up to me and said, hey, I want to you know, congratulate you on the fish. Thanks for using my fly. And that started my relationship with John, and from there it just you know sky's the limit he opened up a lot of doors he became a good yeah. friend of mine and a dear mentor so it's pretty cool that's being, awesome being such an accomplished flying angler not everything goes our way so with you specifically i'm a little curious what's that one fish that like keeps you up at night of like i should have had it but i did couldn't oh yeah couldn't yeah. bring it in all yeah. the way i'm no. sure they're, they're everyone has one but i Oh, yeah. I bet yours is a, a great great story. Yeah, it's, you know, for me, honestly, it's, there was a fish that I ended up hooking, and we were on the clear water doing a steelhead trip. I was with a buddy, uh, Angus Drummond, and Eric Mondragon, and Trevor Ibsen, and we ended up going up, and we were swinging this one run, and we hooked a few fish the first day, second day, nothing, third day, nothing. Fourth day, ended up hooking this fish, and it was it was a really big male male steelhead double buck double red side i mean and you know it was, it was a cool looking fish and i thought this fish could be well into the mid 20s it was huge and fighting the fish angus was there trying to help me and the rocks were super slick and he's sliding all over the place and fighting the fish it's coming in i can see how big it is i'm thinking oh my gosh hearts racing hands are shaking and the first time the fish came in he barely touched its tail and it was like a rocket ship. This thing took off, you know, still had power. I'm like, that is nuts. Came in again. Third time he went in and he was like, I've just got to try to get this fish. And unfortunately, the net we brought was not even close to me big enough. Ugh. So the leader wrapped around the top of his hat, that little mm -hmm. button, and the fish took off. And he grabbed at the same time and his hand hit the leader. While it hit the button, the fish popped off. Oh. He used the man's hat <laughs> wow. to break off. That is a smart fish yeah, right there. Yeah. Normally they wrap around logs and branches yeah, and whatnot nuts. it was nuts man that's yeah. a crazy story it was cool it was cool but you know those are the ones the ones that this is my philosophy in the sport as far as you know angling and becoming a better angler it's the trout you land teach you something the fish you lose teach you everything yep. yeah so yep. that's I, the I only way agree. i can justify that yeah i can agree <laughs> with that um so you you're obviously a big name in the sport um a lot of people know a good bit about you but how do you see yourself in the sports? Tell us a little bit about what makes Landon Mayer, Landon Mayer. Oh, that's a good question. I, to me, I think what makes it, the way I visualize myself in the sport is a lot of what I would see when I was growing up. So a lot of the great people, the, the lefties, the Ed Ingalls, Dave Whitlocks, John Bars, all those industry legends that we dealt with when it was, you know, me in a younger age, a younger day. What I was impressed with was that how 
when you approached them, it, it felt as if they were really focused on what you were saying. Like they gave you their full attention. It was customized to that experience with them. And that's how I visualize every time I approach an event or approach people. I visualize myself to where somebody comes up and they've never cast it before. If I really do take, even if it's five minutes, and I really just focus on what they need or what I can help out with or if I can learn from them and they're tying a new fly. And I give that you know detailed attention. When you're at the point in the position in the sport where you have built a career out of it and you're giving back, I think that's key. So when I try to visualize myself, it's mainly trying to give back and just know that every person counts, every question is a good question, and, you know, all the trout still try to fool us. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very true. Yeah. Uh, do you have any questions for them? Yeah, so I know you've uh, written a few books, so uh-huh. why don't you talk about your books and, like, maybe give us some tips because I know you got some tips in there for catching big trout. Oh, yeah, no, the, the books are great. The, the way I came about writing was I was an angler first and then still try to learn how to write. It's a challenging thing to do. Yeah. And the only reason I am able to teach and you know, come up with new books, and I appreciate you bringing them up, is I take what I learned on the river guiding and I put it in the pages. And for me, my heroes and mentors there are Ross Purnell and Jay Nichols, and John Randolph was also a key component there. But the tips and tricks that I try to convey to anglers, and a tip I can give you now, we deal with it all the time on the water, is that when you're, when you're casting the trout and you make a presentation, a lot of times people believe it has to be a conventional cast, straight plane, 10 and 2. But it really is delivering the mail in the sense that if the fly gets to the area above the fish and you can make the right presentation, that's the right cast. There's no wrong way to make a casting stroke. You so, can uh, make that true, yeah. connection, of yeah. tying it back to your younger days, delivering the newspaper exactly. instead of delivering <laughs> the mail. <laughs> exactly, yeah. No, and that's the thing. It is delivering the newspaper. And, and the, the, here's the tip. In windy conditions, tough conditions, instead of 10 and 2, if it's literally 12 to 9 or 12 to 3, depending on the, the bank that you're standing on, if you go straight up and come straight down water level and you mimic hammering the nail, if you pick a hammer up off the table, bring it up to your ear, hit the nail on the head, that's how you make the cast. And the secret in that cast is that if you roll your arm, you miss the nail head. If you come straight down, you'll hit it right on the head. Mm-hmm. And that's give, when you do right on the head, it gives you that straight line presentation. Yeah. You can cut through 20, 30 mile an hour winds. It's pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I got a, a kind of a little bit of a nonsensical question that I think our listeners would enjoy listening or hearing you talk to. We've done a podcast on 1% rules, uh, meaning something that makes you, it could be something as meaningless as like a hat, but you make it, you think it gives you that 1% edge advantage. What would be the one thing that you're not going out on the water, but seems a little bit nonsensical or you're not leaving behind when you go out on the water, but it seems a little nonsensical to the average person. Do you have anything like that? I do. I, you know, the biggest for me, it's sight fishing. Like when I'm out on the water, it's, it's, it's interesting to say that 99 I call them 99 percenters. So there's mm-hmm. trout that I believe 99 percent of people are not seeing because they're trying to imagine or view the whole detailed image of the trout. And then the one percent rule on that would be instead of looking for the trout, I'm looking for objects. So what I use all the time is the tip of the trout's tail. So I'm literally designing in my mind what the tail would look like. And instead of visually trying to hunt for a trout's body, I'm hunting for that triangle, the tip of the tail. Gotcha. And 99% of the time, I don't think people are doing that. So it kind of relates to that 1% rule. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool. I, I really like that answer. Um, Do you have any, like, plugs or anything you want to? Yeah, let's plug like, your guide service. Yeah. So, I, you know, we guide on the South Platte River. It's The website's landandmareflyfishing.com. And, you know, I'm thankful to, to Bo and the uh, the Texas Fly Fishing Brew Festival and just everybody really stepping up. The clubs here, the Dallas, Fort Worth, 
Chris Johnson, Pat Dorsey. Uh, I was here with uh, Steve and Phil Iwani, and they're they're great individuals, great human beings. And yeah, it's just really cool. I mean, the one thing I think to look out for is I do have a new time book coming out this fall. Yeah. The first time I've done a time book, and it drove me nuts in the winter months to try to do all the step tie photos, mm -hmm. but luckily was successful in getting those done. And it's going to be out September one, so we'll see that. It'll have all my signature flies with Umqua and. Yeah, shout out to you guys for doing what you're doing here, and, and I appreciate all the support, man. Thank you. Um, I think this is going to conclude our interview with Landon Mayer. Uh, it's been very good. I hope all our listeners enjoyed that as much as we did. And learned something new, too. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys, our next interview is going to be with Sybil Jones of Dagon Outfitters, I guess is what you'd call it. I don't see Outfitters on the name, but... Dagon Apparel Company officially, okay. but we're—I mean, we sell clothing, so Outfitters okay. works. Okay. Yeah. Um, and where are y'all based out of? Houston, Texas. Okay, and they are currently in the booth, kind of a catty corner across from us, and uh, we've kind of made a little bit of a friendship with them. And uh, Nick Christian is here again with us. Uh, he seems to be really loving the podcast vibe and listening in and contributing. He's a pretty good little question asker. So we are going to do a small interview with Sybil and Nick again. Um, so you're based out of Houston. It's a apparel company. Mm -hmm. uh, specific, how would you like classify it? A lot of our listeners, like I was talking to you earlier, would be more familiar with Haller. But it's, talking to you, you said they're not necessarily a competitor to y'all. So where, how do you describe your brand and style? Correct. So I would consider our sweet spot Howler Brothers meets Sims. We have the cool look of Howler Brothers, but the functionality of Sims. So we're ideally we'd love to be kind of the next generation of Sims, right? So current Sims wearers are generally, you know, people who've been fly fishing for a while. You know, you mm -hmm. see, you kind of grew up, it's what your dad wears, what your granddad has worn. And so we would love to come in at the younger generation and be the next Sims, which I know is a big, uh, it's big shoes to fill. Yes, it is. Because um, they're such a wonderful company. But we're hoping that if we can throw in kind of the style of Howler Brothers, that we'll be able to hit that younger generation because... Um, styles are evolving and we're trying to move with it. Yeah, okay. That, that's an awesome goal. Yeah. Um, where in Houston are y'all located? Like, because that's a, a major city. It are y'all more closer to the coastal side of Houston, being because y'all's logo looks like a redfish? Mm -hmm. um, or are y'all more north of like Woodlands area? So we actually just have an office downtown. Uh, the owner has several other companies, uh, family companies as well, more in the energy industry. And so uh, we just kind of have an office that we work out of with several other companies. And I have my little space and run Dagon. Okay. Uh, so do you all have an actual storefront or is it all like online sales right now? How do people uh, it's mostly, reach out? It's mostly online. Uh, we do not have our own storefront. Uh, Although I do have some last-minute Houstonians that have contacted me saying, hey, I'm going on a fishing trip this weekend. Please help. Um, you know, so I'll have people in the office every now and then when it's not a pandemic because uh, we haven't been in the office since March. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time, but I'm trying to go in a couple days a week. But we do not have a physical storefront. I don't think that that's the goal for us. Uh, we are doing online sales and um, ideally mom-and-pop shops are kind of okay. our bread and butter so we rely on other local stores you know small business trying to support another small business to get the name yeah. out there okay um 
Nick, yeah, I've seen you go over there on a few pieces. Do you have a favorite piece of Dagon wear? Um, I'm going to go for the hat. You like the hat? Yes. I saw you wearing one earlier. That's a tarpon hat. You got a tarpon hat? Is a tarpon a fish that you'd eventually want to try and catch? It is? You can speak on the mic. You were all about it earlier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cute kid. Yeah. Um, how, how long have y'all been around for now? Because I, I know when we came up, I kind of, I didn't mean to come across or sounding rude that I had never heard of y'all. Oh, but no, it, that's totally okay. We're still pretty new. Um, I started working with Dagon August of 2014. And uh, we, the owner had just had kind of like a logo and some sketches at the time. And I came in and helped really get things going. It took us a while uh, coming from scratch and pretty much no background in this. It's a big learning curve, but it's been wonderful. Uh, we launched to the public July of 2016. And we've been going ever since. Gotcha. That's awesome. Uh how are y'all designing? Do y'all have like an in-house designer of like how you're trying to design the clothing? Are you getting to pick out the materials? How are you doing that? So the owner, uh, Corby is his name. Okay. He, being an avid fly fisherman, has all the wonderful ideas of why the pockets should be a certain size, where they should be located, and all the functionality of things. He's got an idea of, you know, okay, well, we need to have more blues, greens, and grays so that way when you're up on the boat, you don't stick out like a sore thumb, you don't scare off the fish, things like that. So he's got the technical ideas, and I kind of help him make things look pretty, make sure that, um, you know, the right colors are going on a shirt, and we kind of, uh, as far as the, I'm not going to say design, part of the colors and things like that, the mm. little smaller details, um, we really coordinate well together on um, so I'm the only official Dagon employee, so I do everything. Um, I've done, you know, I help with, like I said, design. I do the product photography. I do the website. I deal with all the trade shows like this. Um, everything involved in a trade show, you know, finding the help and reserving everything and setting up and tearing down. Um, inventory management. I help out with tax and accounting uh, for end-of-year reports, etc. So, um, long-winded answer to yeah, your yeah. <laughs> design question, but no, we don't have an in-house designer per se. Uh, we do work with a, we work with other companies that provide designs digitally for us. Okay. So we'll say, okay, well, I want this color blue here, and I want this color gray here, and then they will go and make a mock-up for us with everything, and then we just kind of go back and forth. Okay, interesting. Um, Kind of blanking, God. I had a question. Uh, do you, can is there anything else about Corbin and his fly fishing career that you could tell us? Do you know how long he's been fishing for, or anything like that? Oh, he grew up fishing. Okay, <laughs> yeah, gotcha. he grew up fishing with his dad, and I think his granddad, and um, he's just fell in love with it. And you know, anytime he gets free, he's always down at Port O'Connor, um, going fishing, or off in Colorado, or wherever he can get his hands on a fishing pole or I a gotcha. fly rod, more accurately. So. I gotcha. Um, you, you mentioned that you do all the, the trade shows, and with COVID kind of being uh, off year, so 2020 being an off year with very little to no trade shows going about, uh, how many trade shows have you helped run in your time at Dagon since 2014, and what type of trade shows are you normally at? We usually do fishing trade shows. I've done the Houston fishing show. 
um, for three or four years. Okay. Yeah. So, obviously, I mean, that was our last show before COVID and the lockdown hit, because that mm-hmm. was in March, early March of 2020. That was our last one. Um, we've done, this is the Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival. We've also done this for a few years. Um, I will do a couple of local country club shows, uh, Houston Country Club and sometimes River Oaks Country Club. They have a holiday boutique, mm-hmm. uh, and that's worked out really well for us, because men are so hard to buy for. Yeah. I- <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think we're simple, but I am a man. So. Maybe too simple, right? <laughs> that, like, that okay, could well. be it. <laughs> that could be the problem. I don't know. Well, cool. I just wanted to sit down and let you kind of plug your the brand of Dagon because it seems like it's some pretty cool apparel and stuff. I know I've been eyeballing and stuff, but I've had to sit on my hands and trying to be good budget-wise. <laughs> um but there, there's some stuff I'm definitely going to check y'all out, and maybe our listeners will, too. Hopefully, yeah. it'll, it'll be beneficial for both of us. I hope right. so. Thank you so thank much. You. Yeah, thank you for coming on. <laughs> All right, so our next uh, little mini interview is going to be with Michael Williams of Nomadic Waters, um, who, which is a Brazil-based fly guide company. Um Michael, we're going to start out with our standard questions, as all of our uh, previous interviewees yeah. have done. Um, so to start out, we're going to say, what got you into fly fishing? You know, I actually got into fly fishing as an adult. Okay. I was a trader. I traded stocks and bonds. I was living in Denver. And there the market closes at 2.30 in the afternoon. And so where all my colleagues were hitting the bar right after that and they'd be there till midnight blowing all their money and coming in drunk the next morning I'm just like man I can't live like that and so I actually ended up going to the mountains and in 30 minutes from my office I could be knee deep in the South Platte chasing trout and, and blow all your money at the fly shop yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely <laughs> absolutely and it was absolutely the best thing that I could do because that was my stress relief mm-hmm. and I didn't know what I was doing didn't have a clue it turns out where I was fishing was one of the most technical waters in the state, but I didn't know it at the time. And I really, that's basically where I learned, was in Cheeseman Canyon on the South Platte River. That's awesome. Very and nice. it got to the point where it was, I was so obsessed with it that I quit my job and I started working at a fly <laughs> shop for minimum wage. Nice. Well, at least the it's a... were yeah. really happy with that decision. Oh, yeah. <laughs> at least it's a call of passion because for I... Real. Yeah. I, I often kind of have like that same like thought process I like what I do but I don't feel like sitting in a cubicle is what I was called to do all day long yeah and so it's like that constant battle of like how do I make it work doing something that I honestly love to do and I mean that's kind of the point of honey hole for all of us all the guys have their main jobs we have how we pay our rent and we're all doing this as a project on the side, trying to get it off the ground. So it's very much kind of like, whereas you're actually making minimum wage, this is digging a hole into our budget. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's it's working out for us thus yeah. far. Yeah. Um, so you started on the South Platte in Colorado, but now you're down in Brazil chasing peacock bass on the Amazon River, or I'm assuming Amazon yep. River, yep. but... Uh, how does that transition work? Well, I started working for that fly shop. And I started guiding, and within a couple of years, I worked my way up, and I was actually their head guide. 
and it wasn't that it was that good. It was just all the other guys quit. You know? Yeah. So <laughs> like, hey, here's an opening. Take it. No, but anyways, I worked my way up to head guide. Really enjoyed what I was doing, but there was just I could barely scratch a living doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I just decided, you know what? I want to travel the world. I can't afford it. My guests want to travel the world, but they don't know how to do it. Let me put those trips together. I'll make a commission, and it'll allow me to go on these trips. So I was able to travel the world with my favorite hand-picked guests, and it really kind of blossomed from there. And I, I found new locations. I was the second outfitter to ever run trips in the Kamchatka, Russia. And that's awesome. Did, that's another area I really want to fish. Baja, Mexico and Alaska. And because I had that core group of customers who believed in me and they all knew we, we all trusted each other. We traveled well together. When you get that core group, man, you can do anything. You can go anywhere. And some doors open and opportunities open in, in Brazil. And it's just become our second home. We absolutely love the people of Brazil. The fishery is I could talk all day about the fishery, but you just you have to experience it to really understand why it's so special. Yeah. How do you uh, uh, split your time between living in the U.S. and your time in Brazil? What's that look like? Yeah. Is so, it like six months, six months, or? So I actually live in Atlanta, Georgia. That's home. Oh, for, home that's for where me now. I'm originally from. I'm no from Carrollton, Georgia. Really? So right outside Atlanta. No, I'm in Marietta. Okay, so. gotcha. Awesome. Yeah. So. I'm the owner and director of operations, so I do all the marketing and I do all all that work while I'm here in the States. But then when our season opens in September, I'm down there and I host every trip personally. And so we've got Brazilian guides, but I, I fish with guests every day. I kind of rotate through, make sure everybody's happy. Yeah. Basically, the person who caught the late, least fish, I fish with them the next day. So that kind of a setup. So I'm in Brazil. This next year, I'll be there four months. Okay. Cool. Nice. Nice. So, well, uh, I mean, you told us you traveled the world. It means you've caught a lot of fish. So what would you say your most memorable one is? Man. One way that we catch these peacock bass, a lot of times they're way back heavy in cover, mm-hmm. and they're hard to get to. But I don't know if you've done much saltwater fishing, but if you've ever seen a saltwater fish light up and they get keyed in on something mm-hmm. and nothing's going to stop them from killing that, yeah, that's exactly how a peacock bass hits. So a lot of times we will throw big chopper lures, lures with big props on them. These lures are five ounces. They're really big, heavy. We'll chuck those without any hooks way deep in the cover and pull those fish out and they'll come chasing after it. And then we'll throw a fly after it and then we'll, we'll tag them up. It's a great way to get a guest into fish. Kind of like a bait and switch type Totally scenario. bait and switch. So we were in that setup in that situation and what we thought was happening was four or five seven or eight pound fish were coming out towards it and it was just like oh man this is it this is going to be awesome because we always get a lot of doubles and in that situation because they're competing over that fly it wasn't four or five or six fish it was two fish and they were massive they were massive so the guest cast out hooked into an 18 pound fish and that was the smaller of the two the other one was 22 pounds chasing it all around the boat all around the boat and i'm thinking okay I could document this with the camera or I could make a shot and catch the fish. But, you know, you can't do that. If mm. You can't catch a bigger fish than the customer. But so I just kind of kept the camera rolling. And it's the most amazing. Oh, it's just so much fun to just watch that joy in that customer's face. But, man, that would have been my personal biggest 
peacock bat. So it sounds ever. like that one was the, the one that the got highlight away. fish the and the one that, one that keeps yeah. you up. <laughs> but it keeps me up, and it was absolutely no doubt the right thing to do. Right. Plus, I know where he lives, so I can go. I can go back. You can go him. back yeah. Yeah. when the customer's not there. <laughs> um, but just just that experience. That customer just stopped fishing, and he was just taking it all. He was just shaking. He's just like that's the most amazing thing I've ever experienced in my life. And for me, I mean, we've caught enough fish for me to share that with that person. Yeah. It's just that's just something we'll never ever forget. Yeah. That fish is just amazing. So chasing pe- peacock bass versus a like large mouth, small mouth, something that's more typical for the upper part of the United States. Because I know we do can can get some peacocks in the like Miami area. Mm-hmm. But how do what's that fight like? Is it any oh. different or is it similar? It's nothing like them. You know, we call them bass. They kind of look like bass, but they're actually not bass at all. They're, oh, they're cichlids. Interesting. I didn't. So I don't think I realized that. Imagine like a 20-pound perch is basically oh, what they are. Nice. Wow. That's what they are. Um, they, they fight. If you look closely at their tails, they have a really thin wrist, and then they just have this massive paddle for a tail. There's so much power built into this fish. They're real ambush uh, predators, and they will... If they get locked into something, they will not stop. So that's something where a bass, you know, sometimes you'll see a bass will hit and then turn away, and you, he's gone. That was your one shot. And with the peacock bass, they'll hit it, and they'll miss it, and they'll come back around, and they'll hit it again, they'll hit it again. You know, 90% of, of the takes that we have on our flies are nine feet away. They're at the, at the tip of our rods. They're still chasing the fish, chasing the fly. And that's just... It's just something about it. They're the apex predator in their water. They're not afraid of anything. So even though they're that close to us, you know, we may have made a 50-foot cast and we're drawing them to us, but they'll be 10 feet away and they'll look up at you and look at the fly and eat the fly. They could care less that you're that yeah. you're right there. They just know something's in their water that they do not want there, exactly. so they're going to kill it. Exactly. But for power, kind of got off on the wrong subject there, but for power, I have a lot of guests that do quite a bit of tarpon fishing in the Keys. You know, they're used to 80-pound, 100-pound mm-hmm. fish. And, you know, they're always just astounded with the power of a peacock bass. Like, I had a gentleman who fishes in the Keys all the time. He fished with us on the first day. He hooked a 12-pound Asu peacock bass, which is the biggest of mm-hmm. the species. And he broke the nine-way. He broke his rod in half. Wow. On a 12-pound nice. fish. And this is a man who's accustomed to fighting big fish. Um now, a lot of that is because we use really heavy leaders and heavy tippets, and you know, a lot of times our leaders have a heavier breaking point than even the fly line does. So he's, he's not used to putting that kind of pressure on a fish, but mm-hmm. just to sit there and just watch his rod break off and sound like a gunshot, he was just absolutely astounded. So pound for pound... They are just—they are just incredibly powerful fish. It's definitely like a fish that I've, I've wanted to chase after in the past, and yeah. never had the opportunity. But you're getting me amped. To, oh, they're so, they're so to go special. into debt to go to Belize <laughs> or to Brazil. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so you do run a guide service out of Atlanta, Georgia, but also based in Brazil. Yes. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your waters? Kind of plug your guide service and. Sure. Uh, Let's sure. see if we can't get something going for you. Yeah, well, it's, it's a really special place. We, we run our trips in two different locations. Uh, the first is Rio Negro, and that's the one everybody's heard of. They're all familiar with that. The Rio Negro, imagine, it's the world's fifth largest river. So imagine a lake, river, pond, 
swamp, creek, all of that side by side by side for 10 miles. It's 10 miles wide. Wow. In places, it's 13 miles wide. It's just, I mean, you just can't wrap your mind around that. And it's just all a maze. And, but it's, it's absolutely the prime conditions for peacock bass. There's no finer peacock bass fishery in the world than the Rio Negro. Um, so who guess you who just want to fish sun up to sundown and really chase some big, big fish, Rio Negro is the way to go. Our other location is inside a uh, federally protected reserve, and we're one of two, uh, two outfitters that are allowed into this particular area. And it is, has a lot of small communities in it, and uh, all of our guides come from those communities. So what's special about that water is, is that the guides are literally taking you to their ancestral, ancestral waters. Mm-hmm. It's just like, this is my father-in-law's lake. This is my my wife's lake. This is my family's lake. And, you know, it's really special. And sometimes if the, if the guides connect with the clients, they might say, hey, would you like to meet my family? We'll come into these little communities. And, and you know, these people live extremely simple lives their worlds are very very small um you know they live dirt floors and in shacks but they are some of the happiest most content people you'll ever meet and you know a guest who's willing to pay the kind of money that they pay to come and fish with us for them to see such content people living so simply it's it's a very impactful trip for them yeah Yeah. just uh the contrast of the the i don't want to use the term destitute but the A cultural shock, yeah. shock experience. Yeah. And, you know, we'll have people go to the Watuba Reserve, and then they go to the Rio Negro. And even though they might catch bigger fish in the Negro, they all want to come back to the Watuba. Mm-hmm. And that's my area that sells out the fastest with my return guests. They all go back there. So it's just, you get more of a broader ex- jungle experience. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I think people who travel... Um, there's people who travel and all they can think about is fish. And believe me, all I think about is fish. It's, it's what drives me. But there's just so much more to the experience than Yeah, than it's just the, it's the, the adventure in of itself that, exactly. that's so great. No, I, I agree. It, it sounds like a, a really, really great experience that would yeah. be worthwhile for anyone to, if they can, to definitely do. We, uh, we shot a second episode with Discovery Channel, um, a TV show called Seasons on the Fly. And they came down, and we actually filmed that in the Watuma. And you actually see some of those villages, and you see our guides working closely with the customers. And it's just, if any of your listeners want to, to check out and actually and see that's, exactly that's what awesome. our trip is on about. On the, 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 the Discovery Channel? channel? Yep. Okay, so I'm going to have to look that up. They can, do, they can do Discovery On Demand, or our website is nomadicwaters.com, and we've got a whole video section, and we've got several versions of those those episodes there. So. Awesome. If people just want to see what it's about, they can check it out. All right. How do uh, people get in touch with you if they are looking to this? As exp- it inspired them to try and do this, how do people get in contact yeah, you, you to know, get that ball Reach rolling? out to us on, uh, check out our website. You can contact us there. Um, you know, I don't use my cell phone to answer it, but you can text me. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you can say your uh, website address. Is yep. it nomadicwaters.com? Yeah. Nomadicwaters.com. And then I'm Michael Williams at nomadicwaters.com. And okay. I'm great with email. Do you want to <laughs> give your cell phone number for people to text yeah, you? Or sure. do you want to just keep it on the that, email? No, that's fine. 770-315-4873. Right. Awesome. And you can find us on uh, Instagram too, Nomadic Waters. Okay. Definitely we'll give 
you a, a follow and we'll start following and seeing what you are doing. Awesome. Uh, I would like to potentially give you the opportunity to come back on on a long format interview with the sure. entire podcast, give you a little bit more time, talk about it. Yeah. You might go over some of the exact same information, but we can also get into a lot more detail and some of those great stories. If you're have a guide that could even call in from down there one of the local guys mm-hmm. we can make that work with zoom or something like that but we'll we'll try awesome. and get something else on That'd the be books because yeah. it seems like you have a a really great story and operation that is unique to especially our audience or something like yeah. that yeah oh man be happy to do it whatever i can do to help you guys out absolutely yeah well uh i'll go back over i'll follow you over and i'll grab your card and i believe i gave you one of ours and we'll uh We'll get that process rolling, and we'll work with your schedule awesome. as far as that goes. Great. All right. Thank Thanks. you, sir. Thank you.